So we usually have a, a communion service together on the first Sunday morning of every quarter. And then during the other months of the year on the first Wednesday night of those months. So this is the first Wednesday night of August. So we're going to have a communion service. And we do things differently uh, at our communion services from time to time. And right now I've asked uh, brand new elders at our church. These guys have just recently become elders. We heard from two of them uh, last time together. Um, and that was uh, Todd and Alan Griswold. And tonight, we're going to hear from Gary Baumgarten and Alan Gonzalez. So, Gary, you're going first, right? Come on up. Welcome him. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, as Terry said, my name's Gary Baumgarten. And my wife, Sonia, and I, um, we've been attending Calvary Chapel, Sun City, uh, since we moved here in June of 2021. Well, when Terry asked me to give my testimony, I thought, uh, I thought back on how my story unfolds. And so one of the things I thought about is what I've done when I've heard the salvation message. And I couldn't help but think about the parable of the sower. And this parable is included three, in three of the Gospels. So as my wife, Sonia, tells me, if something's repeated, it's probably worth paying attention to. Um, so this parable talks about what happens when we hear the message about the saving power of Jesus Christ. Well, another thing I saw was that God brought some amazing people into my life. And I truly believe that God intersected our lives together and brought these people into my life to help me take the next step in my relationship with him and to grow my faith. God knew what I needed, and at just the right time, he provided these, I'd call, providential relationships. Now, I was actually born and raised here in El Paso by two loving parents who were married for almost 66 years. Amen. And I was the middle of three children, and my mom and dad, they were just always involved in our lives. And so, as a kid, life was just carefree for me, man. It was just great. Um, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and I just remember we went to church every Sunday. That's just what we did and stuff. Um, I was baptized as an infant attended catechism, um, and was confirmed as a young teenager. But I never got involved in any of the youth groups at church, and I never went on a church retreat camp. So once I graduated high school, it was off to college, and I was certainly ready to get out of the house and enjoy all the fun that college had to offer and stuff. Um, I really had no idea what I wanted to major in, so I initially picked chemistry as a major, but I figured out if you added the word engineer after chemistry, you could be a chemical engineer. And in my mind, you can make a lot more money as a chemical engineer than as a chemist. So maybe not the greatest logic in the world, but it really was satisfying my desire to make good money. Um, and although I was a good student, once the weekend rolled around, it was time to let loose and have fun. And I certainly learned how to enjoy the happy hours in the clubs that were all around campus. But come Monday, I was back to the books. And although I had gone to church all my life, once I got to college, I decided that church wasn't something I needed or wanted in my life. It was more important to sleep in on Sundays after Saturday nights out. So like I mentioned at the start, God has brought some wonderful people into my life. So the first person that comes to my life is a young lady I met during my second semester of my freshman year at college. I had not really dated much in high school, and I was head over heels with Cindy. Now, when we started going out, it was the usual fun stuff. But not too long into our relationship, Cindy asked me this question. She goes, are you a Christian? 
I was completely clueless to what she was talking about. And all I could answer was, I'm Catholic. So as any young guy would do, I went to church with Cindy at the Baptist church in town. So I think the first message I heard with, about with her was the evils of drinking. Now Cindy knew I drank and asked me what I thought about the message. And I'm pretty sure I mumbled something like, hmm, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> Cindy shared with me how important Christ was in her life. And friends of hers also shared the salvation message with me. So I heard the message very clearly, but it wasn't for me. That kind of life would interfere with all the fun I was having. And besides, I thought I was basically a pretty good person. I guess through my years at church, I believed that being a good person was enough. Um, Besides, if I didn't go straight to heaven, I'd be in purgatory for a while. But eventually, I'd move from there to heaven. Great logic. Well, as you can probably figure out, that dating relationship didn't last a real long time. But the seed was planted that God loves me and that Christ died for me. But as explained in the parable, I received the seed by the wayside. And Matthew puts it this way. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. Well, I earned my chemical engineering degree and eventually became a project manager during my working career. Now, you can probably imagine that an engineer working, with that, working as a project manager um, without Christ in their life pretty much decided that they were in charge of their life and everything would work out just fine. I did eventually meet somebody else at college, and we got married after I graduated. Now, my wife was Lutheran, and she didn't want to be Catholic. So I was like, okay. I didn't really see much difference between the two. So after graduating and getting married, I started a job in New Orleans. And I'd never been out of Texas before. And now I actually had to become an adult and work for a living. And as many people realize, um, working is not all it's cracked up to be. And... (laughs) And even though folks thought I was living the dream by uh, living in New Orleans, I really came to hate the place. So at this point, Christ was not in my life, and all the cares of the world and work made me terribly miserable. I stopped going to church for quite a while. I truly hated life and was very depressed. I really didn't see the point of life. So what does a guy without Christ in life do? I make a plan and decide that life would be better if you got a new job and moved to a new city. So I'm sure you're not surprised that I didn't pray about any of this because I knew I had a great plan. So we leave New Orleans and we move to Plano, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas. I get a new job and I like where I'm living. Things are going well and my wife and I start a family. We have two children and although they're a lot of work, they bring us lots of joys. And my wife and I both had good jobs, so we're able to buy a bigger house, get a nicer car, you know the story. I'm living the life that I think is good. I'm successful based on how the world defines success. So I'm back to attending church now, but I'm really just going through the motions. I'm reciting the prayers and the creeds by memory, but I feel good because I'm back in church. And although I'm going to church, my life is like the seeds that were sown among the thorns, or as Matthew puts it, now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Well, I've been an avid runner for a lot of my life, and I found running as a great way to get stress out of my life, and I love competing in races. So when I moved to Plano, I joined the local running club, 
And there I would meet another person who would be a really big influence in my life. And his name was Bob. And after meeting him at a, a club meeting, we just really hit it off and we became training partners. And as time would go on, Bob would really become the closest friend I've ever had. So as I got to know Bob better, I found out how much he loved the Lord. And I still remember when he said we should start praying for each other after our training runs. And that was a whole new concept for me. I, I was the first time I remember ever praying with anybody else before. Now, during the 90s, there was a group called Promise Keepers that was having conferences around the country. So in 1995, Bob and I decided that we were going to go to the Promise Keeper Conference at Texas Stadium. So it was a Friday night and all-day Saturday event. So I'd never been to anything like that in my life before. So in a sold-out Texas stadium, I saw guys singing at the top of their lungs, lifting their hands up to praise the Lord. I certainly had seen that in the church I was attending. But I still vividly remember Saturday morning at the conference. I can't remember who the speaker was or what exactly he was speaking on. But at the end of the message, he asked this question, Is everything okay in your life? He went on to give and explain the salvation message. And this was the same message that I heard for the first time back in college in 1978. So I knew in my heart that everything was not okay in my life. I remember leaning over to my friend Bob and go, asking him, is everything okay in your life? And he said, yeah. So I said, well, it's not okay in mine. I said, will you walk down with me? I want Christ to be my Lord and Savior. So I don't remember the exact prayer that was said, but on that day I asked Christ into my life. Amen. So I went home, and on October 28, 1995, I wrote these words in the Bible I was using at this time. And it says, I cannot turn back, for I have entered into an irrevocable contract with God. I have committed my life to Jesus Christ, and he has given me eternal life. Well, I'd love to tell you how my life dramatically changed, <laughs> but in all honesty, I knew that I accepted Christ but there was not a lot of immediate change. When looking back, I think we can have those what I call mountaintop experiences and really be on fire for the Lord. But once we come down from that mountaintop, we can find ourselves back in the same places, doing the same things, unless we apply what we learn. And as Terry mentioned in one of his messages, when we take a step of faith, the enemy is going to fight against us. Satan doesn't applaud our decision to follow God. So over the next few years, there's going to be two major life events that really um, greatly impact my life. And the first one of these happened in July 2001. And I just clearly remember, I'm, I'm sitting on an airplane on a Saturday morning, and I'm heading to Colorado for a backpacking trip, and I'm reading the newspaper, back in the was actually newspapers to read. Um, and so I turn to the last page of the metro section, and I see a headline that reads, Plano man dies after bicycle veers off-road. Well, as I get to the second line of the article, I find out that the plano man that was killed was my best friend, Bob. <sighs> to say that I was shocked was an understatement. I was truly devastated. So following Bob's death, I got really angry with God. I told God that it was unfair that Bob's life ended so early. It was unfair that you took away my best friend. I wanted God to explain to me how he could take a life of such a good person. Well, looking back, I can see how spiritually immature I was at the time. And it took me a really a long time to mourn the loss of Bob. Well, not too long after Bob died, in the spring of 2003, my wife informed me she was divorcing me and leaving me for another woman. 
For anybody who's ever been through divorce, those are probably the worst words you can hear as a married person. And in my case, those words also really mess with some of my thoughts and feelings. Thoughts like, how did I not see this? Or am I not masculine enough? So now I find myself in my mid-40s, single, with custody of my two children who are in 5th and 8th grade. I can pretty much say I was numb for quite a while and wondering what my future as a divorced mid-40s person is going to look like. But little did I know at that time, but God was once again going to bring some wonderful people into my life, and my life was going to change in just amazing ways. So during and after the time of the divorce, my daughter was playing soccer, and the daughter of a really good friend of mine, his name was Phil, and my daughter were on the same soccer team. And during the practices, Phil would just walk and talk with me about anything and everything under the sun. And Phil offered, he offered hope, encouragement, biblical wisdom, and just a lot of valuable insights on life. And I always look forward to those walks and talks. I remember sharing a story with Phil one day. I told him that I had visited the pastor of the church I was attending to tell him about my divorce. Now, I don't remember the exact words of the pastor, but I think it was something along the lines of, wow, that's too bad. Well, Phil says to me, Gary, I've got a much better place for you to go to church. You need to visit the church our family goes to. That church is Grace Community Church. So I showed up one Sunday at Grace. I'm looking for Phil and his family. I couldn't find him. So here I am sitting by myself in this large church auditorium. I'm kidding, it's like, holds like 2,000 people. And all I remember seeing was this huge, large screen on the stage up there. And the next thing I know, I just say, there's this rock band on stage that's playing songs I've never heard before. And I was like, what's going on? <laughs> this was a big difference from the organ music and rogue choir members at the Lutheran Church. <laughs> well, a few minutes after the service start, Phil and his family come in. They see me and they sit down. And thank goodness, that just really helps. Well, now the music stops. And out comes a guy. And I kid you not, he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt, fans, tennis shoes, and jeans. And Phil tells me, well, that's Pastor George, or he's better known as PG. I'm like, okay, not quite the pastor in the robe I'm used to seeing. But Pastor George becomes the first pastor I remember to teach me about having a, re- a relationship with the Lord versus just going to church and being religious. I would hear so many amazing messages from PG. I remember PG talking about how we all have our flops, fumbles, and failures, and how so many people don't draw, drop God 18 inches from their head down to their heart. Grace Community was a church I needed to be at and wanted to be at. Well, during the same time, the church had a singles ministry that met after the first service. Phil and his wife Joyce said that on the weekend the kids were with me, they would watch my kids and I could pick them up after singles class. So again, God puts two more amazing people in my life. And these are the leaders of this single group, and their names were Dean and Sharon. And Dean and Sharon, they were both faithfully committed to leading the singles ministry. Dean was just an amazing man of God, and he was just a wonderful teacher. And Sharon, she was an amazing woman of God, and she prayed in a way that I had never heard someone pray before. And I learned so much about the power of prayer and being able to pray out loud at grace. The singles group met every Sunday, and once again, I learned so much about being a Christian and growing in faith during those Sunday morning classes. Dean and Sharon weren't just small group leaders. They were spiritual mentors who wanted each person in the class to grow in their relationship with the Lord. 
But you know, the funny thing about being in a singles class is guess what? There's single women in there. <laughs> so occasionally the singles group would have a, a get-together outside of the Sunday morning class. And one time, Dean and Sharon asked me if I would host a pool party for the singles. I said, absolutely. Well, at that time, I had a ping-pong table in my garage, and some of us started playing. Well, there was a certain woman who I thought was really cute, and that starts playing ping-pong with me. Turns out she was really competitive, though. Well, we had a lot of fun playing, and I'm not sure who went in the games, but I'm guessing she did. Well, everyone else had left the party but the lady who was playing ping-pong with me. And we just started talking, and we just kept talking for a long time. Well, it was about a week later, and I was talking with her at church. And the conversation went something like this. She asked me would we, if I would be interested in getting to know each other better. Well, not being a fool, I said, absolutely. <laughs> so after dating for a while and going through an intense, and I really mean intense, 12-week premarital class, we got married in May of 2005. Now, you've probably figured out by now that this cute woman is my wonderful wife, Sonia. <laughs> yep. And we've been married 18 years now, and Sonia's the love of my life. She's pushed me and encouraged me in so many ways to help me grow in my faith and become a man after God's own heart. Well, after changing churches, I, I just really saw my walk with the Lord. It was just growing in amazing ways. And I love what Romans 12, verses 1 through 2 says. And it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As it says in verse 2, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And this is just a time of transformation and renewal in my life. And these are just some of the areas where the Lord transformed and renewed my mind. Well, first off, I started reading my Bible daily in the morning. And I remember when I finally read through the entire Bible for the first time. It was just really amazing. So that's just how I start my day now. I just start my day reading the Bible. I also changed the music I listened to. Um, I grew up listening to rock and roll music. And uh, as you know, a lot of those lyrics don't really talk about living the Christian life, now do they? But I've just come to love praise and worship music. And I just love the messages that are in those songs out there. And there was also just a lot of good Christian radio stations in the Dallas area. And I just found myself listening more and more um, to Christian music and the teachers that they had on the shows on the radio. And I just found myself soaking up the Word of God out there. And at church, Sonia and I got really involved in small groups. And one of the groups we got really involved in was the singles ministry. And I still remember Dean and Sharon. Um, they came to our house not too long after we were married and they said, we're going to come back and talk to you all in six months about being leaders in the singles ministry. And for me, that's something I had never done before or thought about doing. So I'm pretty sure I played the Moses card, you know. I'm not a very good speaker. I don't really know the Bible that well. Well, long story short, Sonia and I would spend ten wonderful years working with Dean and Sharon in the singles ministry. Well, around the same time, Sonia and I took over as leaders for a small group of married couples. And as a group, we just all clicked together, and we just loved learning about God, and we were just doing life together. We led that group for almost eight years, and I just learned so much about the power of having other Christians in your life and growing together in the Lord. Well, finally, after serving in the singles ministry, 
Sonia and I began serving as leaders in the youth ministry, or as we called them, the younger singles. Um, We started as small group leaders with a group of students who were in sixth grade, and we stayed with those students until they were in tenth grade. It was just a really fun time. But there were times we'd come home after a small group meeting, and we'd ask ourselves, did they hear anything we were talking about? I'd always answer, I don't know, but I do know we're planting seeds, and I believe those seeds will one day bear fruit. I really just learned so much about the Bible and living the Christian life by preparing for and leading small groups. And like I've heard before, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. It's amazing the things God can do in your life when you aren't in charge and you let God be in charge. Well, after working for almost 40 years, I was tired of the daily grind of going to work, traveling, and just dealing with work problems. So after a lot of discussion and looking at numbers... I decided to retire on December 31st, 2020. Now, this decision took some serious prodding from Sonia. She said something along the lines of, you can keep looking at your spreadsheet, or you can trust that God has got this covered. (laughs) Yeah. So January 1st, 2021, was the start of a new season of my life. Now, I love Colorado, and I've always dreamed of moving there in retirement. I've just been up there so many times. So as Sonia and I were talking about where to live in Colorado, she says this, we really ought to move to El Paso to help out your mom and sister. My mom was widowed back in December of 2019, and my sister was helping take care of my mom and her husband who had cancer at the time. So I don't know if my immediate reaction was, yes, what a great idea. Um, But Sonia has lots of sayings, as you found out, and one of them is, obedience brings blessings. And if I'm going to pay attention to what the Bible says, there's clear instruction that we are to help our families and widows. So in a matter of just a few short weeks in the spring of 2021, we closed on the sale of our house in Plano and the purchase of our house in El Paso. And we move out to El Paso in June of 2021. Now, Sonia um, and I have always said that wherever we move to, we needed to find a great church because the church is really going to be our family. So before we left Plano, Sonia tells me she's found the church we should attend in El Paso. She says the church is great. And one of the biggest things that convinced her about this was an online video she watched of a women's conference the church had put on. Sonia said the heart of the women were amazing. They were heartfelt, they were humble, and just transparent. And yes, that church was Calvary Chapel, Sun City. So I think we started attending the first week and we were in El Paso, and we never checked out another church. Calvary Chapel, Sun City, became our church home, and we've been blessed to become very involved in our church and have been blessed by the wonderful people who have become part of our life. And once again, I've grown just my walk with the Lord with the verse-by-verse weekly teachings. Well, in putting my testimony together, it also gave me the opportunity to really examine my life over the past decades and reflect on how I've used the years that the Lord has given me And I can honestly say, for a lot of my life, I was like the Israelites who just wandered around in the desert, lots of grumbling and complaining and not remembering what the Lord had done for me. My pride and my self-reliance directed my life during this time of wandering. But after accepting Christ as my Lord and Savior, I've come to learn that God is in control. I don't have to worry about things, if they're going to work out or not. I only have to remember back to the many times when I thought, Oh, this is a terrible situation. What am I going to do? 
only to realize that when I let go and I let God take control, God orchestrated things in ways that I never could have imagined or have done on my own power. I've come to believe and rely on the many truths and promises in the Bible that remind me that God is in control and I can trust him even when things seem to be going bad. And one of these is out of Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9. And it says this, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I just love Proverbs verses 3, 5 through 6. And it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will... Make your path straight. Now, I've also spent time reflecting on how I use my remaining years to serve the Lord. And Sonia said this to me a while back. She said, we spend the first part of our life working to make a living, but now we get to spend our remaining years working to leave a legacy. And what better way to spend my remaining years than to leave a legacy? And it's encouraging as I read the Bible to see how God used folks who are in their later season of life to do some great things. So do I have it all figured out? Absolutely not. But through the power of Christ in my life, I will continue running with endurance the race that is set before me, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So thank you for your time this evening. Good evening, everyone, again. Thank you, Gary, for that testimony. I don't know how I can follow that. That's awesome. My testimony uh, is a bit different uh, from some of the guys that I've heard talk in that I grew up in church practically from the very beginning. And my story kind of starts back with my mom because she was a war bride and came here after World War II. So... If it hadn't been for her, I would definitely not be here in El Paso today. But uh, there was a lady there that lived next door to her and invited her to go to church. And my mom came from the Anglican church. And uh, she was, I guess, in the Anglican church, it's a bit more rigid. You know, there's things that you, a set ways of doing things. And uh, Roxy Ferguson lady from Alabama invited my mom and my older brother at the time was maybe about five years or so and and took him first to this church and it was a Pentecostal church that's how I was raised and uh, because of that my mom saw the difference in the change because my older brother came back and said this is great I love it here she saw the difference in his life and she decided I'm going there too at the time, my dad was working on Sundays, and he, we only had the one car back then. There was five of us kids, ultimately, but at that time, there was the two of us, and, and so we rode with Roxy Ferguson, and she took us to church. So there's her legacy right there in my life and in my family's life. And because of that, growing up with this church, it was just an amazing place to be, so loving, so caring, 
Pentecostal, yes, but we didn't go all the way over there rolling around on the floor and, and heavenly Jesus, you know, and things like that. I mean, he was, our pastor back in those days, was, he was just more mellow about that kind of stuff. And uh, it was there that uh, we grew up. We learned the love of Christ. Everybody that was there, Sunday school teachers, the older folks who would tell us the stories about how <clears throat> they used to live by a ravine and the water would come rushing down off of the mountains because there was no streets. I grew up over here by uh, Southwestern General Hospital, Cotton Street, that area if you know about it. And back then it was just, you know, dirt roads and rocks whenever the rain came through, sometimes a snake or two, whatever. But for kids, that was great. You know, we loved it. You know, critters. My mom, get that thing out of here, you know, that kind of stuff. It was a great time, you know. You could get out and run around, play in the neighborhood, and not worry about somebody, you know, in the darkness looking for you, other than the kid who said, you know, tag, you're it, that kind of thing. But um, my mom met my dad here, and uh, her story really was a story of redemption because she came here, and the man that she had married after the war, divorced her, came to El Paso, and left her here and went back to Connecticut. (laughs) But uh, I know a couple of good people from Connecticut, so I'm not knocking the state. (laughs) But uh, so, you know, she worked. She was here. She was a waitress in the old clock restaurants, if some of us can remember those days. And uh, uh, I'll cut the story short. He came back down, says, you've got to come back with me. Otherwise, you're, I'm kicking you out of the country. You're going to be, uh, uh, what's the word? Deported. Yes, deported. And she was crying about it. And then she, uh, that's when my dad, not married at the time, said, what's going on? And, and she said that, uh, you know, my husband has come back, and he wants me to go back with him. And he says, you don't have to go. I says, Why? You can marry me. My mom married my dad. (laughs) Hence, Gonzalez. So that's who I am today because of my dad. So there's other divine things that the Lord is still directing and moving and stuff. So growing up in this church, uh, because of the love and the legacy of Roxy Ferguson from Alabama, uh, we went there, my, my brothers and sisters went there, we grew up there, we loved it there, we got the word, we got the love, we went to summer camp, and that was just great, we had VBS there, it was everything you can imagine. <clears throat> Some, VBS was two weeks in the summer, if you can imagine that. It was great for us as kids. <laughs> Parents, uh, you know, uh, adults, but we loved it, it was great. And it was there at that church is where I, I was growing up, and we were involved in, in the youth group, and, and we had Bible studies. And that's where I met this, this girl who came and visited because one of the ladies who was there, a Sunday school teacher, they lived uh, close by. They had relatives, and they, they brought them to uh, VBS. And I saw that girl in there, and I'm like, man, she had, like, beautiful eyes. and like, Phew. I just lost my heart right there, my eyes, like, you know, every t- kind of like that. It's just... just it's kind of how my heart felt, right? But, you know, I'd just be looking at her across the room, you know, and i get all blushy, and she looked at me, big smile, you know, getting all blushy and stuff. And uh, as time went by, we were dating while we were in church, and we went, you know, witnessing downtown at the Plaza Theater, 
and we went witnessing at uh, Memorial Park, and we ran into a group of Iranians, and we were talking with Muslims, you know, about Islam and what they can do. And what we say, we have, you know, freedom in Christ, and then of course they talk about, well, we don't know, we know Christ is, but you know, he's not this or that. He's not the Son of God. But they were okay. They were, they were all right. Back in those days, and in those days, we didn't have the problems like we did today. They were here at Fort Bliss training within the military. But uh, as time was going by, uh, this girl broke up with me and said she had to grow up some more, become more mature, you know, and learn about life and with God. And I was kind of like a distraction. And that broke my heart. And that's okay. I was still going to go to church. That wasn't God's fault, right? So, that, you know, we're going to still keep going. And that was my early life, going to church there. And I participated in all those things, in, in the VBS, and, and just loved being with the kids running around, and they would do the crafts and stuff, and, and we used to have a penny march. and It was just a wonderful time those days. And um, but the time came when I had to leave the church. I joined the military, and I went into the Air Force, and was stationed upstate New York. And my wife at the time there, it was hard for her because it was away from her family. Um, I'm jumping a little bit, but I'm going to come back to my wife eventually here. Because when you went up there, it was different. It was culturally different. I remember the sergeant that came and and, uh, escorted me around the base to orientate me. After we were done, you know, he showed me the facilities and stuff, and we get back, and, and he looks at me and says, well, you seem to be like a pretty nice guy. I, I didn't know what kind of burrito we were getting up here. And I'm thinking, what is he talking about? I had no idea. Gonzalez coming from way out here, and this is upstate New York, and he was from Vermont, not knocking people of Vermont, beautiful state. But this particular fellow, I mean, and he was innocent, but, you know, it did hurt because I could see right off the bat cultural change right there, right there taking place. And we looked for a church, and that was the other part, that we found this church, and we went to it, and it was hard there also. It was cold. It was, it was very difficult to go there. And I'm telling you these things because these are leading up to a point I want to make here towards the end. And it was hard for my wife, too. And for my daughter, who was born in New York. And we had a hard time, and we were there for four years, and, the, and it was about as cold as the winters get. That's putting it in context, I think, pretty well. Because all that being said and done, when I'm getting ready to get out of the service, we get visited by people who visit from the church. And they came, knocked on the door, and I let them in, and I recognized them. And they sat down with us. And says, we, want to, we saw that, uh, you know, we, we saw your name here, and we wanted to just come and, and welcome you to our church. And I couldn't believe what they're saying, because we've been going there for like almost three years. And they didn't know who we were all this time. And, you know, it was crushing. I mean, I was, at first I was pretty upset about it, but, you know, the Lord is there. Thank God, you know, you pray every day, and he's with you. So there's times when you come, you know, to a hard place, and you can fall back on him. And he will give you the words. And, and I stopped them and I said, I just want to pray with you all. I want to tell you this is what happened. And they were shocked. They, didn't know. they felt really bad, of course, about it. But we prayed for them and, and we've never seen them again. So we come back to, the, to El Paso and 
we were coming to church and we started attending Calvary Chapel on the east side. And that was a blessing out there because there I was learning how to study the Bible practically verse by verse. I mean, if you know the pastor out there, Charlie, I mean, the guy is like, he's, he's a great brother in Christ, awesome, awesome man. And we grew up and our kids were growing up there and it was just a wonderful place to be at. But, you know, the Lord moves you and we're thinking, why? Something's going on. We're being led now. We're, we're supposed to go somewhere else. I don't understand why. I love this church. My kids are growing up. They have friends. And it was just, I prayed with my, my wife about it. And she says, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think we're supposed to move. I says, I don't understand it. But I'm going to be faithful. So this was a great place. We were happy where we were. And we did. And we found another church. And I, I look back now and I can see how God was using because I learned growing up as a child the kind of unconditional love that the pastor had for us from that church. The people didn't care. And then the next church coming back here was learning how to study the Bible and understanding it and breaking it down so that, you know, one word means a whole lot more than just reading, you know, the can be way more than what you see the is, you know. It's amazing. But uh, we went there, and at that church, we learned about sacrificial giving because I was faithful in our tithes, and we would do offerings, and we were fine with that. that that's, that's what you do. You're a Christian. You love God. You do those things. But sacrificial giving was different in that what leads to this is that the church was trying to build a building because we had been living, or rather, well, essentially we were living, in a facility on, um, out on uh, Lee Boulevard, I'm sorry, not uh, George Dieter, and it was in a strip mall, and we were paying close to $10,000 a month in rent. That's crazy stuff. What do you, how do you do that? And for that kind of money, we could be in a place of our own. So the pastor, he went to different people's homes, he talked, and at that time, Set that aside. I'd been driving to work. I work outside of Las Cruces, and I was driving a Volkswagen Passat. It was great. Everything was in kilometers and metric and whatever. 55 kilometers is really more over 60 miles per hour, so I always had to get that right. But as, you, as I was driving all those years, uh, it started breaking down, and I was winding up going across the border to Mexico to get the car fixed because if you know about Volkswagens, those parts are expensive, and it takes a long time to get those parts. So my dad took me over there because he was fluent in Spanish, which unfortunately I am not. And he took me to a place, and uh, from then on, that feller there, I'd go in, Mr. Acosta, I'll never forget him. And after my dad passed away, I kept going down there, and the way I communicated with Mr. Acosta was, uh, buenos dias, Señor Acosta. And he would look at me, and he said, hello, Alan. <laughs> and... And I'd take him out to the car, and he'd say, what is the problem, problema? And I'd bend, and I'd look at the car, point my finger, and I said, este es mi problema. <laughs> and he says, ah, si, siéntete. Okay, so I'd wait in the lobby. <laughs> and it could be like, you know, all day Saturday, and finally the part would come, and they would fix it, and I think I would pay like $40 for the labor in the part. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't beat that, you know. 
to come over here, you know what it mean, what it costs. It's expensive. And over there, it just cost me to sit down. And it got not so bad because then I was such a fixture sometimes. They invite me in the back and and they'd cook up burritos and they'd offer me a burrito for free and give me a soda, you know, and I'd sit there and I'd read the El Paso Times and then I'd throw that, you know, and I took my Bible and I'd study that too. And, you know, this is all day long. I'm waiting down there on Saturday and finally I pick up the Warriors paper and I start looking at the pictures in the Warriors newspaper because what else is there to do? But, uh, you know, all that time, the sacrificial giving comes because at that time my wife and I says, okay, I got enough money. We can, we can afford a car payment. I can let this car go and I can get something that's going to be reliable to drive me back up and down. It's 72 miles one way, so I got to have something reliable. I've been broken down a few times out there. So Then the pastor from this church comes and says, we need uh, to do a fundraising for a building. And I want you all to pray about it. And we did. I think, oh my gosh, the Lord's laying on my heart to put down the amount that it takes for a car payment. So we were faithful. Because we gave that up. We were faithful. We, we committed that. Two months later, a car pulls up. Someone in it. It's my son-in-law. My daughter, who's in the Air Force, had just become a lieutenant. And there's a thing like they go, and whenever they become lieutenants, they go out and buy their LT car, lieutenant car. And uh, he pulled up, and he gave me the keys. And he said, this is for you, Mr. Gonzalez. This is your car. There was a free car, no payments, free and clear, nothing. Brand spanking new, maybe had like six miles on it, and that was it. We thought they were kidding. It was April 1st. We thought it was a joke. But it's like, you kids are being mean. You better cut it out. No, 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 it's okay. Really, please take the car. Don't get mad at me. And that was between my daughter and, and my son-in-law. And they gave us that car, and it made a world of difference. Well, in that same two months, the company I worked for was changing contracts. And uh, they came up to me and says, we lost the contract. But you know what? You're not making enough money. Uh, we think you, you've been not getting paid enough. I think you need to get like an 8% raise before we let this contract go. Well, sure, yeah, I'll take that 8%. I was very happy to, you know. It was, I mean, wow, what is this, you know? The next company that came in, after about a month, they're looking at my salary and says, we don't think you're being paid enough. We think you need to be 10% more than what you're at right now. Uh, are you sure? Really? <laughs> I mean, you know, you haven't talked to the other guys. We don't know who the other people are. We're talking to you. It's, oh, okay, that's fine by me. So 18%, like in the space, and a brand new car in three months there. My wife gets a promotion. She gets a pay increase. Plus, I mean, she's now elevated up here in, in the hospital that she works at. I don't remember how much she's got. I think she was like 19 or 20% herself. What a blessing. I mean, it was sacrificial giving. We were going to give. We weren't expecting this to happen. I didn't see any of this coming. I had no plans whatsoever. I was going to keep driving that 
that Volkswagen Passat up and down the road because I knew Mr. Acosta and he was ready. You know, I, what's the problem? You know, I got a routine going. We know what, and there's a burrito in the back for me. So <laughs> I, can do, I can do this, right? I, I, was, I was ready. I was prepared. This, this money will be for God. And we did that. And we fulfilled that commitment. All that we, for two years, we did that. And that was where I learned sacrificial giving above and beyond tithing and above taking an offering for somebody passing through or something going on that's like onesies and twosies here and there. Sacrificial giving is giving and being committed to it. God is faithful. He turns around and he blesses you. Now, for us, okay, financially, but the thing is there's blessing in the spirit too. I mean, there's people that come out of the woodwork and say, hey, Alan, you're, you know, we love you. We're going to help you. And this is the love of Christ and the family and the kingdom. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing kind of love. So the time came when it was, we don't know what was going on. The Lord says, okay, time for, for you to move us. What? All this stuff happened while we were here. We were part of this. And now we're moving. You want us to move again, Father? What's the deal? Well, things had happened. And uh, there was some humiliation from a previous church that I went to, which I don't like to talk bad about churches and stuff because I told you enough already. But. It, it was kind of heartbreaking and sad because this is in the Christian family and I've grown up in the church all my life. You know, I didn't do drugs. I never drank. I've never been drunk in my life. I'm sorry. Can't help that. You know, so, but, you know, some people asked me one time, are you okay? Are you better now? How'd you deal with it? And I said, you know, I didn't know what to say to him. And I just thought, I'm fine. Ever since I went back behind the church and threw that rock through the window, I'm okay. I don't have any problems. <laughs> I didn't really do that. I'm just kidding. But I did tell them that. Just to, we're just having humor and fun. But, you know, the Lord is faithful and he's, you know, he's a great, great God. And, you know, he teaches you forgiveness. You learn how to do it because Christ forgave what they did even more so to him, right? And he was innocent. But, um, I just want to, the last thing I wanted to bring up is that, you know, we were looking for the church. Where are we going to go, Father? Where do you want to put us? We visited places, and we came here, and we found the love that was just coming out of this church and the blessings that were taking place here, and I'm looking at my wife. Are these for real? And because, I mean, I've been close to other folks, and then, you know, you things happen. But... uh I prayed to God. I said, God, this is a great church. We found, we've started attending, we're going. We've been here six years now. And I said, God, did you know about this place? And I said, he says to me like, yeah, I did. I knew about this place. (laughs) And it's a wonderful place. Yeah, who knew? You know, that's what God was saying to me. But just being humorous in that, that, you know, God's faithful. I mean, he, he leads you, you let him lead you. You're going to be amazed at what he does in your life and what he does in the lives of people. And when I get to about this last story of how God has taken care of me and, and watched over me, last year, about a year and two months ago, and I've told this story to the men in the men's group, that uh, I got this uh, blood abscess on my, on my neck and chest right up in here could show you but it would be good but uh i was in the hospital for i think like 19 days 19 days altogether they had me for about a week 
They say you're doing good, everything's going down. I went home for one night, I got up, my wife looked at my neck and says, you need to see the doctor. And went back to the doctor and it was just all inflamed. They all thought that maybe it was like a fractured rib or bone, not a rib, but a, a collarbone or something. And it turned out, no, you got a, you got a blood abscess on there and that thing is getting ready to burst and it's a good thing you came in because you'd probably be not with us anymore, Mr. Gonzalez. And uh, spent the next, I don't know how many days now, eight, nine days, I guess. It was two parts. And I had these needles going in. I mean, you know, you go to a hospital, you don't go there to rest, of course. You go there to get better. They treat you. And I was being injected with needles in the neck, you know, and they try to numb it. But, boy, you feel this thing going in anyways. And they tell you, don't move. And you lie there. And, I mean, it was so painful. I grab a Kleenex box just to grip it with the left hand and just keep the right hand calm, all the right side. Just relax it. But I knew that it was going to hurt. But, you know, the Lord's faithful, and, and they didn't know what to do. They were hemming and hawing about it. And it w- they were just trying to be cautious. But the hygienist there at the hospital calls this doctor who's a, a, cardiac, a thoracic cardiac surgeon. I said that right. Didn't know him, just called him out of the blue, and the doctor said, yeah, I'll come take a look at him. And he came on a Saturday. It was a weekend. And they usually don't do that. And plus, he didn't go to uh, UMC is where I was at. And he, he came in. He saw. He left orders for it to be done. Chew this. He says, just, you need to make an incision. Put like a vacuum pack in there and just let it drain out. And uh, waited all day for something to happen, and nobody came. So I called the doctor. My wife did. And says, they're not coming today. It's probably busy. They'll, they'll probably try to come tomorrow. He was back on the phone because she had sent a text in two minutes. And says, I'm coming right now. I will be there tomorrow morning, and I will take care of this also. And he came, and he did the incision. And, and from then on, it was like, you know, the Lord sent him, and this thing started getting cleared out. They put this vacuum machine, and it just starts taking out infection and stuff and you know your blood doesn't look like blood when they're pulling this stuff out of you but the Lord I mean during all that time it was painful I was alone there you know my wife and and my daughter came they could only come in the daytime to visit and I had to go through the night and you hear the constant beepings and you hear some people sometimes down the hallway moaning because they're in pain and you don't sleep and it's it's pretty sad, but, you know, I thought through all this pain and all this discomfort that I was going through, I asked God, you know, how can I make this about you? I'm suffering. I hurt. But how can I make this about you? So I, I asked people, what's your name? How are you? The workers, the nurses, the the the. the Attendants, even even the custodians that would come in, you know, if they could speak English to me, I would speak English to them. Some would just smile if if they didn't speak English, that was okay. And I talked to them. Is there anything I can pray with you about? And one lady was a born again Christian, and she prayed with me. She worked the night shift, and she prayed with me that one night. And then the next day, she went on vacation for two weeks, so I didn't see her again. And I prayed with a nurse. 
and I prayed with an anesthesiologist because they were taking me in to prep me, and I just asked this lady, you know, can I pray for you? And she said, you know what, can you pray for my arm? It's killing me right now, and if you could pray, I need to do a better job if you could just pray for me. And she stood there, and I prayed for her. I, I've never seen her again. The anesthesiologist I talked to, I started praying with him. He says, can you pray for her? I said, I don't want to know any details. I don't go in to find out. I don't want to, you know, that's not why I'm here. I don't want to, I'm not trying to find out your personal. I just, I just want to pray for you. You know, I, I could just say a, a, an overall prayer for you to watch over you. And he said, you know, my wife and I, we're trying to have a child. If you could pray for us for that. And we'll, we'll, we're going to find out results this coming Saturday, he told me. But I've never seen him again. But we prayed right there just before I went in for the procedure. And the blessing out of this was when I asked the doctor, I said, okay, so it's going to take a while. Is it going to hurt? Because I just want to get a Kleenex box to grip it. And this was a blessing from God, too. He says, oh, you're not going to feel a thing, Mr. Gonzalez. You're going to be unconscious the whole time. I was like, you serious? He says, yeah, you're not going to be awake. You're going to go in the hallway. You're not going to be awake when you go in the surgery room. And when you wake up, you're going to be back in your room. And I thought, hallelujah. I'm not going to feel anything. This is a great, great thing. You know, this is, I mean, when you're in those kinds of positions, these are great mercies from God. You've got to understand, there's no more pain. They're just going to do their thing. And then I just got to wake up afterwards. But saying all that, I mean, even in that time, you can still be used by God no matter what you're going through, through loss of a family member, tragedy. We all have loved ones that are not saved that can be a big thorn in your side. I do. But while you're there, there's people that are suffering worse. They don't have the faith, the joy, the salvation that we do, and we can do that. We can share that. And it doesn't have to be big speeches or Quoting scriptures, you can just share love. And that's how people get affected. It's by the love. That's, that's how you do it. You tell them. You say that to them, and it's, yeah, yeah. And you, you plant a seed. And you let the Lord take care of that. You know, he's the one that provided the water. So let him work on the seed. But uh, all that being said, I just wanted to say that we came here. We're here. We love this place. I'm growing here. I'm getting to know my new brothers and sisters and I challenge you to get involved also, because I'll tell you what, Terry will give you a chance to get involved. I mean, I think he stretches you and he gets you involved, and it's good. Because you don't want to be like, like set in your ways. You want to be, sometimes you want to be uncomfortable out there getting your hands dirty, because you were dirty one time too, right? So there's other people out there that need your love and help. And that girl that broke my heart when she said I gotta move on without you and all that kind of stuff I married her (laughs) 42 years now I just want to share one scripture it's Isaiah 41.10 do not fear for I am with you Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely, I will help you. I know that for a fact. Thank you. Mr. Acosta's business card. Do you...
awesome. Isn't it great to hear these stories? I am so blessed. I've known these guys uh, for a while, but you learn something new when you hear their testimony, and it's an incredible thing. A few things, uh, life-changing things in your life. If you're a born-again Christian, if you know Jesus, but you've never started reading your Bible regularly, like try to do it every morning, try to get through the Bible, Start doing that now, and it'll change your life. It'll absolutely change your life. So you just commit. I dare you to do it. Like I've said in the past, I double-dog dare you to read God's word for yourself daily, and it will change your whole life. It'll change your whole attitude, everything. That's the major step forward in spiritual growth. Secondly... You heard from both of them the importance of people and, 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 and being a part of a, a small group or just having that, that your go-to folks that you can uh, pray with and pray for. If you have yet to get involved, I mean tightly, tight-knit in a Christian community, do that and that will change your life. So if you're a born-again Christian and you've yet to do those things, do it now. I promise you it'll... It'll completely change your life. And then the biggest change in life is when you meet Jesus for yourself. When you give your life to Christ, when somebody shares the gospel, God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, and he rose again the third day. And if you'll go to him directly, if you'll admit that you need him, and he, he, will, he will forgive you of all of your sins and change your life and set you on a journey that you could never dream. And it's at the communion table that we remember what Christ did for us. So let's uh, turn our lights down. Let's have our band come up. Let's have the folks that are going to help me distribute come on up. In these communion trays you have two cups stacked the bottom is the wafer and then the top is the juice get both of them keep them in your hands we'll partake of them together but before we do that just let's quietly um, bow our heads and close our eyes and I just want to invite you have you had that life-changing moment with Jesus? Have you had that moment where you decided that you were going to receive him as your Lord and Savior? That you were going to surrender your life to him? Maybe you've been hearing the gospel a lot. Maybe God's been trying to get your attention for years. Well, tonight, tonight, If you've never received Christ, I want you to have that opportunity right now. And if that's you, just in the quietness of your heart, just cry out to him, say, Lord Jesus, be my Savior. Change my life. The way you changed Gary and Alan's life, the way you've changed so many people's lives. I bow, I come to you right now.
I place my faith in you. Thank you for dying for me and rising again. Be my Lord and Savior. For those of you who know Jesus and you've given your life to him and you've been walking with him for many years, it's always a good thing at the communion table to rededicate, to renew your walk with him. So we're going to pass these out, hold them, we'll take them together. And uh, just remain in, in an attitude of prayer and reverence and praise and worship and we'll partake together. Lord, thank you for changing lives. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for the, the amazing, incredible sacrifice that was paid that we might be forgiven that we might become brand new, that we might have uh, the joy of knowing you in this life and the hope of heaven afterwards. Together as a church, we renew our commitment to you. Pray, Lord, that we would be reminded daily of how much you love us and how much you gave for us. And that would motivate us to serve you with everything we have. Wherever you have us in life. I pray your blessing upon marriages here, families here, businesses, all the different things. Everywhere you have us, Lord, I pray your hand of blessing to be upon it. Lord, you've commanded us to remember what you did for us, your broken body, your shed blood on the cross. And so right now we do that. Would you take the wafer out? Consider the broken body of Christ, what he did for you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. take the cup in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me remember the shed blood of Christ for you let's take for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Amen? Let's stand, shall we?